Okay, here's your homework. Um, first, let me tell you the directions. Um, what form? Takeaway five. One, two, three, four, five, six. Takeaway. What's six? Takeaway one. One. No, you take away. So you take away one out of six. How much does it equal? What's five, 10 minus one? I don't know. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six, seven, eight, nine. Ten. Nope. Take away one. Which is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Nope. One, two, three, four, five, six, six seven, eight. And eight, one, and one more, and add one more. How many is equal? One, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One. It equals, it makes nine. See how you take away? You take away one, and it equals one. Mm -hmm. Do you get it now? Yes. Try again. One. Three. Yes. Good job. If you've never watched Kid Snippets, they're a blast. It's uh, two kids, it's the audio from those two girls trying to teach each other math, and then the adults act it out. It was hilarious, wasn't it? I have a question for you. Do, you. do you feel like you are more like, most of the time, do you feel like you're more like the teacher in that scenario or the student in that scenario? You know, I, I hear, the reality is I'd like to think I'm the teacher, the one who understands and is trying to explain it. Um, and sometimes I do feel that way with, you know, you're trying to explain something to your, your, your child and they're just like not getting it. Sometimes when you're trying to explain that to your spouse and they're just not getting it. Wow, there was a whole lot of staring at people. They're just not getting it. But the reality is a lot of the time I am the student. I am going especially if it's math. I'm out of fingers. Forget it. I can't do it. And, and it's frustrating if you're the teacher, if you're the one that, that knows the topic, right? And if it's, if it's the way your mind is wired, by the way, if you're mathematically minded, praise God for you because I need you in my world because <laughs> if it doesn't go on a spreadsheet, I can't add it up. It doesn't work. So, but if you're mathematically minded, and that's the way your brain works, and you're trying to explain it to somebody who's not, to you who's explaining it, it's not complicated. It's simple, right? It just makes sense. But to the person who isn't mathematically minded, it's complicated. And sometimes we get frustrated, right? You're trying to teach, and you're going, it's really not that hard. 
It's really not that difficult to understand where I'm going here or what this adds up to or how this makes sense. And the person you're talking to is going, I don't get it. Especially happens in relationships. I see it often where one spouse is trying to explain something to the other one and they're like, I understand this. This is not hard. It's not hard for you to understand or shouldn't be. And the other spouse is going, I got nothing. This doesn't make any sense to me. Have you ever felt that way? Okay. Wow. There's finger pointing going on. Wow. That's impressive. Okay. It can. It can feel that way, right? And and it's not just spouses. It's any relationship. If you're in a relationship with a friend that you're trying to get them, you're trying to explain something difficult, maybe it's you're trying to explain to them why they shouldn't be doing something they're doing. Let's get more serious for a second and say, you know, if somebody is making choices in their life that are destructive, that are tearing them up, and you're standing there trying to explain to them, this is a bad idea, and this is why. And you know... You know why. Maybe you've lived it. Maybe you've been through it already. Maybe you've made the same mistake and you're just trying to teach them from your experiences. Maybe that's it. And they're just looking at you like you've got three heads. Like, I, I, don't, I don't get where you're coming from. This doesn't make sense to me. It's because all of us have a frame of reference, right? We all have a frame of reference. And one of my professors said to me once, of course you think what you think or believe what you believe because if you didn't, you'd believe something different, right? We believe what we believe for a reason. We think what we think for a reason. And generally, we like to think what we think is right, right. okay? The problem with that, and especially in our relationship with God, is that God doesn't think like we think. And I sometimes, and I can't corroborate this because I've not sat at the, at the feet of God and had him do this, but I sometimes feel like with us, he is constantly trying to tell us over and over and over again, and he's going, this is really not that, not that hard. This is not that complicated. And we're all more like the student going, yeah, I got it, when really we don't. We don't have it. And our walk with the Lord can sometimes be that way. In fact, for some of us, it's, it's often that way. And so we're going to spend the next um, several weeks, actually, studying one of the many books in the Bible where God is trying to do this. He's trying to explain what should be a very simple thing to understand, what a relationship with Him looks like, but it's very complicated to us. And we're going to do that through the book of Hosea. Now, if you know the story of the book of Hosea, and we're going to read it in here in just a second, but um, God asks Hosea to do something that I, I want to say up front I don't think is the norm. Um, I think it's, it's for a purpose. It's for a reason. So as you start to read into this, don't go, is God asking me? I don't think so. I, I, I'm not going to try to lay that on you. But he did ask Hosea to do some things that are abnormal, And he did it because he wanted Hosea and hopefully us through his story to understand where God is trying to go with some things, how God feels. This is big. This plays a big piece in the book of Hosea. It's how God feels, how God feels about us, how God feels about sometimes the way we as his people treat him. And it's hard for us to put ourselves in that place because we don't think the way he thinks. But he tries to do that through Hosea, 
And so we are going to try to do that through that story. Okay? All right. And hopefully by the end, we won't be the kid going, right? Okay. So let's, let's get started. Okay? God continues to, to push and love his people despite the fact that they do not deserve it. So let's read. It says this, the divine romance is how we're beginning our story. It says, the word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, and of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him, go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. So he went and he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And then the Lord said to him, name him Jezreel, for in a little while I will bring the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So, What's the big ask? What has God asked Hosea to do? Huh? He's asked her to marry a prostitute, probably. I heard the word harlot. Either way, he's asking her to marry somebody knowing they will not be faithful. Knowing they will not be faithful. Because it doesn't say, hey, if you marry her, she will be faithful. He says, marry her knowing she will not be faithful to you. Why would he ask him to do that? Aha! We're the same way with him. See, God, God has made a commitment to you. If you're here and, and you have been saved by the grace of, the God, of God, he has made a commitment to you, right? And you have made a commitment to him. I really believe that baptism is very much like a marriage ceremony. I think it has a lot of ties to it. It's very physical. It's up front. It's before everybody. He's declaring his commitment to you. You're declaring your commitment to him. That sounds an awful lot like a marriage ceremony, does it not? And yet, he allows us to enter that relationship with him, according to this story, maybe knowing that we might not be always faithful to him. Go with a show of hands if you would marry somebody you knew would not be faithful to you. Not a one? You wouldn't do that? You wouldn't marry somebody knowing for certain that they would never be faithful to you. Because he doesn't just say, marry this person and she will become faithful. He doesn't say that. She won't be. He also says that you will have children from this promiscuity. That's important for us to understand because he doesn't make a distinction between the children that will be his, that he will father, and the children that other people will father. They are both his children. He's asked Hosea to treat them both as his children. That's important. Doesn't matter where they came from, what their background is. The point is, if he's agreed to be married to this woman, and if he's agreed to be married to the house of God, the people of God, the people of Israel and Judah, that he's accepting the fact that they come with some, bro some brokenness, some flaws, some difficulties, 
And, it's, and, and I generally don't read the first three or four verses of a book out loud and, and teach on that because it's usually standard greetings. But there's a lot of message here. There's a lot of message about the character of God and what He's willing to do for us despite the fact that we're not always willing to do it for Him. And yet none of us would choose to enter such a relationship in our lives because not one, one hand went up. How differently does God view the world than we do? Very. And that's something we need to try to remember. It's a big ask. You know, there's a reason nobody's hands went up. I don't think my hand would go up. And so God asked him to create this divine family. And this divine family is a hot mess. We met Gomer. Gomer is, is, is the name of his wife. That, the Hebrew word for Gomer is, it means completion, to bring to an end. In some ways, it means the last straw. You think there's a message here with that name? Then he names his children. The first one is God sows. And we read what kind of seed God was sowing. He says, we're going we're gonna to make this happen as Jezreel did. He said, um, name him Jezreel, for in a little while I will bring the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow, the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So there's a lot attached to this name. So what's, what's Jezreel and why does that matter? Well, Jezreel is a place where... Um, Jehu, by the request of God, um, removed King Ahab, an evil king, from power. And we say, great, right? But the phrasing here is not good. He's going to visit horrible things, bloodshed on the house of Jehu. Why? Because after Jehu removed Ahab, Jehu also decided to take out all of God's priests and all of his children, as a high and all of his kids. Because Jehu took the blessing that God had given him and he used it for his own needs. He went beyond what God had asked him. So God is sowing seeds that hopefully will grow something anew and reborn and refreshed and different from what was before. That is, that is the reason he has named this. Then you have lo, lo Hamah, which means no compassion. That's the next child. It's his daughter, he tells Hosea to name his daughter that. Why would he tell Hosea to name his daughter that? Because he will no longer show love to the house of Israel. Pretty scary, right? And then he names his last child Lo Ami, not my people. This is an important phrase. Because God repeatedly, as He's calling us to Him, uses this phrase, you will be my people and I will be your God. Or I will be my God and you will, I will be your God and you will be my people. He uses this phrase repeatedly. That's the relationship He's calling us to, this, this marriage of what it means. And yet as He begins this story with Hosea, He's telling her, you need to marry this person who acts as the people of Israel act. They're, they have a promiscuous faith in the way they, they address me and deal with me and the relationship they have with me. And this is what you're going to experience in your life because I too have experienced this. You're going to have no compassion on them because 
I feel like having no compassion on them because of the way they've treated me. You're going to want to say, these are not my people. This is not my family because that's the way my family has treated me. It's pretty serious, isn't it? pretty serious business. I don't know that there's anything more that you would not want to hear from God than you are no longer my people. I'm done with you. I've washed my hands of you. And yet that is precisely what he's saying. That should make you cringe. It really should. It should make you cringe. And so, What happens next? Surely God doesn't leave it there. He doesn't. But what he's trying to highlight is this notion of a promiscuous faith. And let's give promiscuous faith a definition. It says, placing our faith in whatever gives us what we want in the moment. Okay? That is a promiscuous faith. Let me give you an example. More often than not, um, I, I... when, when, when we find difficult times and, and we are at our last straw for how we're going to get through life, where do we lean to? Huh? That's usually when we turn toward God, right? But when we don't need God, we lean in different things for our strength. We lean in different things for our security. We lean into different things for our comfort. We lean into whatever gives us what we want right now because that's who we are, okay? There's a real danger that we turn God into a reflection of ourselves instead of trying to allow God to turn us into a reflection of Him because one is more convenient for me. If I can turn God into a reflection of me, then God sees the world the same way I do, right? God will give me what I want. God will provide me what I think I need. And the truth is we're at risk of doing that when we think we can, when we think it will get us what I want. It shows up, it shows up in, in obvious ways if you do things like you know, you cheat on your taxes so that you could have a little extra money in your pocket. I'm getting what I want, right? If you um, allow somebody to go down the tubes for something you did so that you don't get in trouble, you're getting what you want. But it also shows up in more insidious ways. I'm turning my faith towards my strength or my solace, my, my comfort. I'm trying to attain that from things other than God. Maybe it's in the, in the company of somebody promiscuous. Maybe I'm going to be promiscuous because I'm trying to find comfort somewhere other than God because it gives me what I feel is a need right here, right now, in this moment, this time, this place. It shows up in other insidious ways. You, you, you just need to relax. Your brain is super tired. You're worn out from the day, and, and you, it's been horribly difficult for you, and so you have a choice. You can go pray, sit at the feet of God, read His Word, allow Him to wash over you and cleanse your soul and give you strength, or you can choose to sit down and watch Netflix. You've chosen to put your comfort, the source of your comfort, your faith, in watching 
whatever's on Netflix right now, rather than the things of God. Because you've perceived that that will give me what I want in the moment, and honestly, for the least amount of effort. I don't have to sacrifice anything. Maybe, maybe if you are involved in a sport and you're choosing to say, what's going to define me? Is God going to def- my relationship with God going to define me or my success in a sport going to define me? And so you say, I'm going to practice more and read my Bible less, and I don't have time to read my Bible because I'm doing what? The sport has become your God. Pure and simple, the sport has become your God. It is what you're putting faith into. That could be not just sports, that could be music. If you're a musician, it can become your God. I was reading a, uh, an article several years ago from a band that was a, a Christian band. You probably have never heard of them. Their name was December Radio. And, and he was talk, the lead singer was talking about the fact that as he's touring, playing these songs that are all about the Lord and finding the Lord and knowing the Lord, even in the midst of all that, he forgot who his God was. The music became his faith, not his relationship with the Lord. Because it was easier, because it was more convenient, because it gave him what he wanted in the moment. It gave him money. It gave him glory, right? Because it's pretty cool to have thousands of people cheering for you, right? Clapping for you and singing your song. That's going to make you feel really good. He had exchanged his faith in the Lord, finding his strength in the Lord for finding his strength in music and in the accolades of others. It gave him what he wanted in the moment. Those things show up insidiously and cause us to have a very promiscuous faith. If we're honest about it, I would say this affects most of us at some point in our lives. Where we, we, we find our strength, we find our faith, we find our comfort, we find our fullness and our wholeness. We search for it, we seek for it in something other than God. In fact, that's, that's exactly how he describes it. If we go into to, uh, Hosea 2, verse 5, it says, Yes, their mother, that would be Gomer or that would be the people of God, is promiscuous. She conceived them and acted shamefully, for she thought, I will follow my lovers, the men who give me food and water and wool and flax and my oil and drink. They had, she chose repeatedly to chase these things as the source of her comfort, as the source of her strength, as the source of her relationship. She was always, she was saying, I will be with you, God, as long as you meet my needs. And if I perceive that you're not meeting my needs, where am I going? I'm going to go find it somewhere else. You know, something we struggle with as human beings is the notion that God is not here to meet our wants. He will meet our needs, but we have a real problem confusing want and need. (laughs) And so we will chase our wants and say that it's a need. I need this or I need that or I need... Probably not. We just bought a new car. Did I need a new car? You shake your heads. Yes, you did. It had 300 and million thousand miles on it, which, by the way, don't make me feel too bad because I'm sending my daughter to college in it. So it clearly wasn't broken or I wouldn't do that. So the question is, did I really need a new car? Good question. I would blatantly tell you that it's more of a want than a need. 
course, that happened after we drove through West Virginia a couple weeks ago when it was 105 degrees and we had no air conditioning. And Heather had been, I've been, she'd been fighting me for months or years going, no, I don't need a new car. And she finally goes, yeah, we need a new car. <laughs> but, but my son said something profound. He goes, so let me get this straight. It's going to cost $700 to fix the air conditioner, right, in your car. So you didn't spend $700 to fix your air conditioner. You spent $14,000 to buy a new car. <laughs> Wisdom, right? I've crossed the line from need to want. The problem isn't that necessarily. It is mixing up the two and thinking that your needs and your wants are the same thing. They're not. You have to recognize them for what they are because God does. He recognizes what you need versus what you want, and He will provide what you need, but He is under no obligation to provide you what you want. And that's a good thing because a lot of times we want things we shouldn't. A lot. That's right. You go, Willow. <laughs> Lots of times we want things we shouldn't want. So God's response to him is the, to 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 her is this. He says, "Therefore, this is what I will do." This is in verse six. I will what this is what I will do. I will block her way with thorns. I will enclose her with a wall that she, so that she cannot find her path. She will pursue her lovers but not catch them. Isn't that interesting? She's putting her faith in all of these other things, but for her comfort, but she will never quite get there. Do you ever feel that way? I can't quite get comfortable. I can't quite get secure. I can't quite remove my fear. I can't quite solve this problem. I can't quite deal with it. I'm chasing it. I'm doing everything I need to do, but I can't. Are you? Or are you chasing a lover rather than God? So she keeps going. She says, then she will think, I will go back to my former husband, for then it was better for me than now. She does not recognize that it is I who gave her that grain, the new wine and the fresh oil. I lavished silver and gold on her, which they used for Baal. In this case, it's what they used to worship other gods. This is, again, part of being a promiscuous faith. We talked about it. When you're really in trouble, when you've really tried everything else and, and, and you are down to your last possible option, where do you go? All of a sudden, that becomes your best option. Sound familiar? All of a sudden, it becomes your best option because it's your only option. Can I just tell you, God never intends to be the last option in your life. My hope and His hope, ultimately, which is way more important than Rob's hope, is that it would be the first, is that He is the source. And he recognizes that. This is amazing because this is the way I think so many of us manage our faith. As long as I can get what I need without God, I will continue to do that. But when I'm in trouble, that's who I'm going to go to. Okay. If you were in a relationship with somebody and you ignored them day after day after day until you really needed them, What's the likelihood they're going to say, okay, I'm still here for you, as though nothing bad has happened? Luckily, God will be here for you, <laughs> but that doesn't mean we should treat Him that way. Because His faithfulness is unwavering. Doesn't mean we should use that for our own benefit. Doesn't mean we have the right to treat Him differently just because we know He will always be there. 
again, back to a marriage or to a relationship, over the years, people begin to take each other for granted what they have for granted if they're not diligent about reminding themselves and each other how important they are and the value they bring to each other in their life. Same thing happens to our relationship with God. We take it for granted that He will be there because He really has dug us out of so many holes. But that is not the relationship He desires for you. See, because there's a cost to it. The cost of a promiscuous faith is a losing proposition for us. Let's read this in chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 9 now. It says, Therefore, I will take back my grain and its, and, and in its time, and my new wine in its season. I will take away my wool and my linen, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will expose her shame in the sight of her lovers, and no one will rescue her from my power. I will put an end to all her celebrations, her feasts, new moons and Sabbaths and all her festivals. I will devastate her vines and her fig trees. She thinks these are the wages that her lovers have given her, but I will turn them into a thicket and the wild animals will eat them and I will punish her for the days of the balls to which she burned incense. She put on her rings and her jewelry and followed her lovers, but she forgot me. There's a, there's a cost of treating our faith promiscuously, of not remembering the source of our strength, the source of love, the source of completeness, the source of provision. And God blatantly tells His people Israel here through the life of Gomer that He will remove all of those things that He provided. Scary proposition? What would happen right now if everything God has ever provided you suddenly disappeared? Great horny toads, I'm in a world of hurt. I am a hot mess. And we don't like to think about that. We don't like to think about the notion that God would do that. And yet, in his text, he's talking about his people Israel. He says, you could lose my provision. You could lose my joy. You could lose the freedom that all of those things offer you. Because I don't know about you, but because I have enough money to buy a car and I have a place to live and I have food on my table, I don't have to spend all my time every day just trying to make sure I'm surviving. I've got some freedom in my life. And yet he says, all of these things that you've learned to lean on that you think came from your lovers, they came from me. It didn't come from your effort. It didn't come from your job. It didn't come from... Anywhere else other than me. And if you don't remember that, you might lose it. All the source of your strength and your dependency. God will not give you what you want. He will give you what you need. And if you've confused the two, He may just take away some of your wants to remind you. But none of us want to consider that. This is difficult because... It doesn't happen in a matter of seconds. There isn't an immediate response. I've talked about this regularly because we'll, we work with the teens a lot, and we talk about, Heather and I talk about sports and things like that and all the, the things that are going on in their life. If they don't show up for football practice, what happens? They don't play. If you don't show up for choir practice, you don't play, right, or you don't sing. If you don't show up for school, 
you flunk, right? There is an immediate, if you, let's say if you're an, an employee, if you don't show up for your job, what happens? You get fired. And those are motivations, right? It's amazing to me. And I've been in this boat before, and I'm not now only because I live next door and people get mad if the pastor's late. But on time to church, that's an easy one to just be late for, right? Let's be honest. Is it easier to be late for church or your job? Church. It is. Because if you're late for your job enough times, what happens? You're fired. If you're late for church a thousand times, we're not going to kick you out. We're not going to fire you. You might fire me, and you should, because it's my job, right? It's the same with, as we talked about with the teenagers, it's a youth group, right? If you skip youth group, is youth group going to tell you never come back again? They're going to welcome you with open arms next week, and should. But there is a cost here, and I don't want you to miss it. It may not, may not be immediate. It may not be visceral. It may not be kicking you in your wallet or in your relationships directly. But there is a cost to not maintaining and focusing on your relationship with God. That cost sneaks up on you. It's a lack of being able to see Him and know Him when you need Him the most because you don't have a relationship with Him. It is not knowing each other well enough and knowing that you can lean on each other well enough because you've not built a relationship with each other. You know, all of us know what's going on, what happened in DeGraff this week, right? Okay. One of the things we encourage the kids to do this morning and we'll continue to encourage them is to remind them that their relationships with each other is what's going to carry them through things like this their willingness to smile at each other and talk to each other, even if they're part of different social groups outside of church, is going to provide them strength to get through these things. Their desire to push each other towards the Lord will get them through these things. That's the same for adults. We like to think when we grow up, we change. I've worked with adults and kids. There's not a lot of difference. (laughs) We do not grow up nearly as much as we'd like to think we do because we are all still children of God. And we all still stare at him and go, I don't get it. We need each other and we need our relationship with God. But like any other relationship, if we're not investing in those, can you really depend on them when things go really south? Where was God when I needed him? He was right here. Where were you? If somebody moved apart in that relationship, it wasn't the Lord. He is faithful. It was me. Or it was you. There is a cost of forgetting God. But there is always a hope. As I said before, God did not leave his people hanging. If we go into verse 14, he says, Therefore, I'm going to persuade her. I'm going to lead her. I'm going to lead my people into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And I will give her vineyards back to her and make the valley of Achor into a gateway of hope. This word Achor, this valley of Achor, these names that are assigned in this book have meaning. We discern that already. Achor means trouble. 
So if we change that and we say, and I will make the valley of Achor into a, a, a valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. I will take this trouble you're in the midst of and I will make it hope if you allow her. Because look at what he does. He says, I will, I will, I will, I'm going to persuade her. I'm going to lead her into the wilderness and speak to her tenderly. What is different from the wilderness and the not wilderness? What's your regular life look like? Busy, crazy, chaotic, right? Surrounded by things and stuff, but also surrounded by the trappings of those things that you've been pursuing. Those other goals, those other focuses, those other things that you're putting faith in. And God tells His people... If we're going to do a reset here, just as he did with the Israelites, they spent how many years in the desert? Forty in the wilderness. He separated them from that previous life so that he could reintroduce them to something better. He will take the valley of what we perceive to be trouble. Losing a job. Losing a relationship that was important to you losing your health. And he can flip that around, this valley of trouble, and turn it into a gateway of hope. But make no mistake, he might lead us into the wilderness so that we can realize what we have, so that we can realize where our help comes from, so that we can realize who our strength is. Now, how many of you are excited about the notion of getting led into the wilderness? Did you give me two thumbs up? I love you. But I'm not excited about the notion of traveling into the wilderness. There is a way to avoid that, you know. We've talked about that. Huh? Stay in relationship with God. Stay faithful to God. Do not allow your faith to be promiscuous. Put your faith in this person, this this. This, this spouse who has agreed to walk with you faithfully for all of your existence, both in this physical life and all through eternity. He has agreed to do that. And he asked the same of us. See, because he, he, paid, he paid a price for this. Watch this in chapter 3. It says this and says, Then the Lord said to me, Go, this is so he's telling Hosea again, Go, show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Meet her where she is. Recognize that's who she is, but go anyways. Just as the Lord loves it, the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and they love raisin cakes. I don't know what the raisin cakes are, but it's something that's not good, I'm sure. Although, okay. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and five bushels of barley, and I said to her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous or belong to any man, and I will act in the same way toward you. For the Israelites must live many days without a king or a prince. That's another, another force guiding their lives without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or household items. And afterward, the people of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come with awe to the Lord 
and to His goodness in the last days. He told Hosea, he said, you want to know how I feel or how I understand or what I'm going to do? Go pay a price for this person who is not deserving of a price to be paid. Do it. Bring her back. And ask this one thing. Ask that she be loyal to you as you will be loyal to her. That's what God is asking. It's that simple. And he sent his son to remind us, because you know Jesus was going to get in here, to pay a price for us. That is a price that he paid with the very life of his son to buy back those of us, which is all of us, who are utterly undeserving of his love and his relationship. And all he asks from us is to be faithful. To be faithful. Can we find that in our hearts and minds? And, if, and, and, and I'll tell you bluntly, if you've not been faithful, guess what? God is ready to pay the price for you. God has paid the price for you because God wants you to be, again return to relationship with Him because He is faithful and He will be with you all of your days and He will provide for you in ways that these other fake lovers in your life could not even possibly imagine. All you got to do is accept it. And if you haven't, now would be a great time. I think I'm done. Who's playing piano? Phyllis is. So, this is a perfect time to do this. If you have walked away from the Lord, if you've not spent time with God, or if you've never known Him, now is a perfect time to do that. We're going to stand up and end the service the way we end every service. We're going to walk through some prayer requests, some prayer requests that were taken ahead of time, and then we're going to ask for some additional prayer requests if you've had any, if your heart's been moved. If your heart's been moved to make a recommitment or a new commitment to God, I, I don't know why you're waiting. I don't know why you're waiting, because he's offering this opportunity. He has paid the price, and all he's asking you to do is to return to him. So let's pray. About our, let's read off our prayers. Patty Elliott has asked for prayers for Bill, right? Is his back and leg healing up? He doesn't have enough feeling in his right leg, so we're praying for that to get better. Uh, your cat has kidney failure. That's okay. It's important to you, right? That's okay. Okay, four-legged kids. We've also asked for prayers for the Cotto family um, and for Bruce and Wilma Cook, which I can assume that's their daughter, right, that has passed away this week. Uh, Holly's asked for prayers for Colin's grandfather Bill his cancer treatments right and for the and for the troops because we need them home Barb Culp has asked for prayers for Jerry um, if you didn't know he had some difficulties with his heart this week and so we would ask for prayers for healing prayers for incredible things to happen and we are always continuing to pray for the peace for Bernice right too we will never forget that one Rita Helmendaller had knee surgery this week. 
She had some complications, so she's going to be in the hospital for another day or maybe two, and then she'll be doing some rehab with her family, and they're keeping her in Columbus for the next week at least, okay? So pray for her. If you have opportunity to call her, shoot her a text, something, go visit her. Please do. She would love to hear from you. Let's see. Melanie Easton, I would assume. She, oh, yeah. Okay. Can you help me understand? Elena Leukemia. Eileen. Okay. Your great-grandma Eileen has leukemia. Okay. So we need to pray for that. Chuck Gamble has asked for prayers uh, for Ron Bro Broski's family. Is that right? Ron Broski's family. He passed away in a car wreck this week. Um, and also, uh, prayers and praise. Chuck's mom, Jean, right, is 80 years old today. My goodness gracious. So is your dad, right? And his twin. They're both 80 today. That is amazing. That is amazing. Are there any other prayers? Anything else we'd like to lift up to God right now? Yes. The McClanahan family? Okay. Okay. So, uh, a friend of yours? Yeah. Okay, that he works with Matt McClanahan, passed away from injuries from a motorcycle accident yesterday. Please pray for his family. Please pray for his family. Yes. Uh, do, would they know Troy Dempster? I don't. Yeah. Oh, okay. Troy Dempster is uh, Tracy's boss's husband. Was in a car accident, head-on collision this week. He's um, the whole right side of his body is working in left. Is it left or right? Left. Isn't working properly. He's got 23 separate injuries, uh, many of which will probably require surgery after surgery after surgery. So pray for him and his family. Anything else? Yes, Miss Ruby. Okay. What's her name? Pray for your granddaughter, Destiny, in need of the Lord to be in her life. Okay. We can do that. We can absolutely pray for Destiny. Miss Plank. Still fighting. Brayley, the little girl, had a heat stroke. Is still, we've been praying for her for a number of weeks. She's continued to, to fight, fight for her very life. Yes. Okay, pray for Sam Jackson. He's traveling to China this next Sunday, this next week. Safe travels and let God work through you while you're there, right? Yeah. I'm missing one. My, my daughter. Yes. Everybody going back to school, including you. Those of you going back to college. My daughter's going back to college today, so pray for me and Heather because we're going to be sad. Okay? Anything else? All right, let's close in prayer. Father God, you are a great and powerful God. You are the Father of all life. And what you desire most from us is a relationship. Not because you need us, but because you know we need you. That we are designed to be in relationship with you. And though there are distractions and things that, that pull us away from you, remind us 
that you are there, that you have paid a price for us, and that all we have to do is accept that you desire for us to be with you and to embrace it and to come back to you. Father, you've heard the heart, the cries of our hearts today, our prayers, friends and family and, and, and towns that are, are in difficulty right now. We see things going on in the world around us that don't make sense, that hurt. We lift up special prayers for the people of DeGraff and the, the Cotto families and the Cook families and, and the challenges they're dealing with. I pray for the, the kids that knew Bryson or know Bryson who went to school with him. I pray that um, you will provide peace in their hearts. Help them to recognize opportunities to help each other. And help them to recognize that the ultimate source of strength and love is you. Father God, we are thankful for your faithfulness. We are thankful for your mercy and for your grace. And I pray that you will carry us through our week until we have opportunity to meet again. It is in your precious son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week, people. Thank you for coming.